The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. My name is Rob Zerman. I'll be your host tonight on this Sunday evening, the final day of February, February 28th, 2021. On the second hour, we will have Eric Bolin, the beat writer for the Yankees on New, New yeah, Yankees beat writer from Newsday. Sorry about that. It's been a long first hour. Before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that you can follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can also visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com, where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming show information. Lastly, if you don't already, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast, WGBB Sports Talk New York, on iTunes, Spotify, or just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter at RobZimWGBB. And right now with us, Eric Bolin, Yankee beat writer from Newsday. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing great, Rob. How are you tonight? Good. Where are you, down in Florida? Lucky you. I'm down in beautiful Tampa, where it was a high of 88 today. I saw, I, I watched, I uh, caught some of the Yankee game today. The weather looked amazing. Um, you know, not so bad up here. We're getting better, no snow. Uh, in the 40s, a little rain, but not so terrible. Um, what, so, what I find interesting right now about baseball, um, you know, we're all in the COVID era. We're living, quote, the new normal, you know. This is the first sport where you're heading into your, Second preseason with COVID. So we knew last year coming in, a lot of unknowns. Um, we don't know. We didn't know what the expectations were. Um, baseball was really the first one, the only sport that didn't start, stop, and start again. So how different is, is this year's spring training compared to a year ago? Well, that's a that's a multi-layered question, and it's a good question, Rob. If you compare it to spring training exactly a year ago, mm-hmm. it's uh, it, it couldn't be more different because you know the uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic on you know February twenty eighth, March first, whatever of last year, while it was uh, you know being talked about and was very much in the news. You know, you remember it really was almost like a, a two-day period where right. sports just got shut down in this country, and, and you know, it was March 12, 13, something like that. So at this time last year, you know, we were still in clubhouses talking to players. Uh, fans were, you know, if a game sold out, there was a sellout crowd in the stands, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then, you know, things obviously, you know, moved very quickly from there, not just in baseball, but, you know, worldwide. Um but here's the thing with all the protocols and all that, and, and it was, you know, a real mess last year, mm-hmm. um, and, and players talked about the obstacles and how difficult, uh, you know, some of those things were. Well, that's the new reality. Right. And so, um, you know, all 30 teams, for the most part, knew what to expect coming into spring training in terms of the protocols and, and the social distancing and the various tiers of, you know, you, you'll read or hear about tier one people tier two tier three and obviously players and staff are tier one and they don't really mix with with anyone else uh for the most part there's exceptions obviously right um but um 
you know, I, I hate to use the cliche of nor- new normal, but um, I'll use it. Um, and players are, are now, for the most part, used to all of those protocols that's uh, part of baseball and part of, you know, a lot of our lives now uh, with the mask wearing and social distancing and uh, a lot of things that, that players enjoyed uh, about being a major league baseball player or being in a big league camp um, and the, the camaraderie and a lot of things that go on there, just it's not a part or as much a part uh, of spring training as, as it used to be or as it is in normal times. Hopefully, you know, next year, this time, you know, we'll, we will be uh, back to whatever, you know, sense of normal it'll be. But, um, yeah, I mean, my, my answer to that basically is that, I mean, I think players are, are used to those protocols because they're pretty much the same for, uh, for this year what they were for the 60-game shortened season a year ago. Um, and one thing about professional athletes, and whether it's baseball players or hockey players or NFL guys, whatever, uh, is they, they adjust pretty quickly, um, probably quicker than most of us, um, to do what they have to do, you know, to, to perform, uh, and to be ready physically to be able to perform on, on the field or on the court or whatever it may be. Um, and so, you, you know, you really hear very little, um, from players, managers, staff, whatever, uh, talking about the, the protocols because, you know, frankly, uh, the 60 game shortened season last year got them used to it. Right. I, w- I was going to ask you because I always find, you know, look, you have your players that have their quirks, their routines, but I, I often found that baseball more so than other sports, these guys had their routines and you take them and you really difficult you know pitcher like you always hear pitcher you know i can't I, I pitch every five days and if he's got to sit it messes him up so how much of that really affected the players because i think baseball is more of a routine sport than you know hockey or basketball i don't think there's any question rob that some players handled uh last year's 60 game season better than others right. uh, and were affected by all of those things that you just mentioned. Um, and, and while you'll never have a player come out publicly and say, I had a terrible 2020 season because I couldn't adjust to wearing a mask. I couldn't adjust to the social distancing protocols. I couldn't adjust to this or that. You'll never have a player publicly say that. Uh, you will have players that maybe will hint around it a little bit. Mm-hmm. They'll talk about, you know, unprecedented challenges that the 2020 season brought, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, and the difficulty of the start, stop, start element of last season, which was a full bore spring training. Remember, we, we you know, we did get almost to mid-March, mm-hmm. which is at that point you're two weeks away from the regular season starting. So for right. the most part, when spring training last year was shut down, players were basically ready to go um you know they had been in camp for three four weeks and most guys will tell you that's really all they need anyway spring training is six weeks for pitchers and that's the only reason it's that long i I was Uh, going to ask you i mean it just it it just seems to me like just spring training goes on you know you almost play a quarter of the season before you even get to the regular season is there any any thoughts after this and maybe you know cutting back a little bit or uh changing uh you know the spring training I mean, it's not. We saw it last year, Rob. Obviously, when they rebooted spring training two in in July, it went from six weeks to three. Um, you know, it was in. It was almost not even a full three weeks. We uh, the Yankees started July fourth, and then they started um, 
the uh, season July 20th. I guess it was three weeks exactly, July 25th, um, in, in, uh, Washington against the Nationals. Um, and, and, you know, three weeks, it, it, it had to be enough. You know, there was, there was no choice at that point. I don't think so. Um, even though position players, and I remember having this conversation with Derek Jeter, this is my 13th year covering the Yankees, so right. I've been around a, a little while now. <laughs> um, but I remember talking to Derek Jeter a number of years ago towards the end of his career, just sort of, you know, talking by his, his locker in the clubhouse. And, you know, it was an off-the-record conversation. I wasn't writing anything. And I said, you know, for, for most of you guys, how do you look at, at spring training right. in terms of the length? And, and he said, he goes, it, you know, it's probably – Seven to ten days, and maybe even you know more than that, too long. Right. Um, that's the position, and I've run that by various position players over the years. Uh, to just you know, I'm, I'm curious. I'm genuinely curious how, how players feel about that. Uh, but pitchers do have, especially the starting pitchers, have a different perspective on that. You know, they, they want it to be as long as it is, so they can gradually get stretched out. Uh, relief pitchers, it doesn't really matter to them. Uh, you know, three, four outings, and they're ready to go. Uh, but really, spring training exists as it does for the length of time that it does, strictly for starting pitchers. Um, so I don't see that changing anytime soon because of how important starting pitching is and because the sport is, has convinced itself that it needs to be that long um, to keep them healthy. Uh, I don't think that's ever going to change. Now, of course, what's interesting is, is it seems like there's never been more injuries to pitchers, particularly starting pitchers, um, and, it, and that seems to be a, a problem without a solution, regardless of, of how much manpower uh, and thought and books and, and et cetera, et cetera, get written about it. Uh, nobody seems to be able to, to, to solve the the onslaught of pitching injuries that, that happen on a yearly basis, and you could be assured uh, that's the, the number one concern. You talk to people inside the sport, their number one concern for this year after having all of these pitchers having such short or, or small workloads last year in a 60-game season, how are they going to react when the workload you know, doubles or even triples potentially this year? How are those arms going to hold up? And I can tell you industry-wide, you know, they're scared to death about that. Really? That's Because that's something you don't hear about, I guess, in the mainstream, you know, sports talk. That, that there is real concern this year going into the season with, with starting pitchers if they can uh, hold up now after such a shortened season last year. And also, and, and relievers too. And I, and I mean, it is out, I and mean, I've written it in Newsday several times. Okay. Um, already, but, and I, and I know some of my, you know, colleagues and, and other, uh, organizations have, have addressed it too. But, um, yeah, I mean, even like a Chad Green, for example, yeah. a relief pitcher, you look at his total innings last year. I don't have it in front of me, but, you know, I think it's, you know, 20 something innings. Um, you know, that, that workload could, uh, you know, double or, or even, you know, well, maybe not quite triple, but maybe it could triple this year, depending on how he gets utilized. But um, you know, it's not just the the starters, but you know, certainly that's that, that's at the forefront of, of people's uh, you know concerns. If you have a, a Garrett Cole or a Justin Merlander or any number of the top Steven Strasburg, you know, you go down the list of those guys that you know only threw you know whatever fifty, sixty innings last year right. and then they're going to you know some of them are going to push themselves to throw 200 innings this year what kind of an impact is that going to have on their on their arms and, and like i said talking to scouts and talent evaluators and executives from other teams uh throughout the the winter uh that was the number one topic in terms of worry and concern uh that came up over and over and over again um is how guys with a much bigger workload this year are going to respond physically 
coming off a 60 game, unprecedented 60 game, you know, six short in the season right. of 2020. Now, let me ask you something. On the flip side of that, your position players played 100 less games, you know, re- last year. What sure. are their expectations now coming into this year without the wear and tear of 100 games? Yeah, no, I mean, I think the, you know, obviously the, the pitching gets the most of the attention, but then you also, you know, you, you, you hear, you read about the, you know, the soft tissue injuries, the right. oblique strains, the hamstrings, the calf strains, you know, you can go on down the list. Um, and some of those are fluke injuries. Um, and then, you know, some of them, you know, probably some preventative medicine could, you know, keep them from, from happening. Um, you know, that's one of the, the reasons you, you read a little bit about uh, Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge, two guys that have had some, you know, injury issues in, in recent years, changing their off-season uh, mm-hmm. workout regimen just a little bit, um, maybe not quite as much as has been portrayed, but um, in terms of doing adding a little bit more yoga and some extra stretching type of thing because both right. of those guys have had issues with, um, you know, soft tissue injuries. Um, and so, yes, absolutely. While, while the pitching does get most of the attention, uh, that is certainly a concern for a, a player, a position player that played, let's say, 58 out of the 60 games last year. Uh, how is his body going to hold up to uh, attempting to play 145 or 150 games this season? Right. I mean, I give it up to uh, MLB, you know, Major League Baseball, because last year, uh, you know, Baseball, I'm uh, sorry, hockey came back, NHL came, the NHL came back, NBA came back. Um, and, you know, this was the first sport, you know, travel, you know, no bubble, um, very, I guess, limited, no fans or very limited fans. Now in New York, we're starting to have some fans come back into the games. So they did a really good job setting the precedent, you know, coming into back into this season that it's able to be done during the COVID era. Um, yeah, you, I mean, yeah, yeah, sorry. Right. No, no, go ahead, finish your... Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I just think that, you know, you that every um, sports league right now really has to give credit for MLB, you know, to Major League Baseball for being able to do it. And, yes, it was only 60 games, you know, due to uh, the height of the pandemic when it was happening in the spring. But I think everybody's got to really give credit to them to show that it can be done. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, they, they had a whole manual that was sent out of protocols, you know, many, many, uh, six, 50, 60 pages, whatever it was, right. um, of, you know, the, the nuts and bolts and, and the minutia of how teams and what the rules were. And a lot of them were draconian and a lot of players and staff, you know, look, looked at that stuff and laughed and were, you know, even angry about it. But you know, right. the, the, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Um, I didn't think there was a chance when um, when things started last uh, July, you know, July 25th, like I said, the Yankees started um, in Washington as the Nationals, and they went to Philadelphia, you remember, right. and that series got uh, uh, postponed because the Marlins had their outbreak, and then there was a trickle-down effect that, you know, uh, affected a bunch of teams, including the, uh, the Yankees, who ended up uh, going to play uh, some games in Baltimore against the uh, against the Orioles because their series had been you know affected was one of the the trickle down effects. Um, at that point, if you talk to most people in the game, mm-hmm. um, when that outbreak on the Marlins took place just the first weekend of the season, 
there's not one person that thought that they were going to successfully make it through that season. Right. I mean, because me, it just looked like because it was the it was the first weekend, and all of a sudden you had a huge outbreak on one team, and it just seemed like this is inevitable. This is going to happen to one team, five teams, ten teams, and there's no way they're going to be able to get through uh, the season. And they did. Right. And I think it's a, it's a credit to you know I, I I will give the players credit for that. Um, not necessarily Major League Baseball. I'm, I'm hesitant to give Major League Baseball credit on, on certain things. Um, Do we ever uh, want to commend them for, for anything? For a, variety, I mean. for a variety of reasons. Um, right. But that's a separate topic. But I think that the, the fact that, you know, you got players overwhelmingly on um, all 30 teams to uh, buy into these things that, um, that again, uh, Bothered, irritated, angered a lot of people, you know, right. just or wore them down to the point of, you know, boy, do we really want to do this? You know, is it really worth it? Um, but whatever concerns they had, they left them at the door. And for the most part, you know, there were exceptions, but for the most part, players, managers, coaches, etc., cetera, uh, did what they had to do, uh, in terms of following the protocols. And, you know, with some, you know, hiccups along the way, um, they were still able to, uh, you know, complete a season. Like I said, one weekend, I didn't think they had a, a chance in you know what right. of, uh, of completing. And so, um, uh, am I 100% convinced that they're going to be able to get through 162 uh, in, in the same circumstances, essentially? Because the, the, as we know, the COVID-19 pandemic has not disappeared, right. uh, hasn't gone anywhere, uh, is still very much uh, going on. Um, can they make it through a full 162? Uh, I'm not 100% convinced that they'll be able to, but I think there's a I think there's a pretty decent chance that they'll, they'll be able to because again, uh, you had so many so many teams that overwhelmingly, um, on a whole, from you know ownership down through players to the clubbies to everyone, uh, you know, bought in and and did what they were supposed to do and what they had to do. I, I know last uh, spring when this was going on and they're negotiating to come back and the game schedule and the money, um, look, people are losing their jobs. I, I don't think we have to go and rehash what was happening um, in this country. But they, they it left a very nasty taste in a lot of people's mouths, you know, um, that these look, people sacrificed, people lost jobs, and these guys wanted full pay for part of the, you know. So, wasn't the nicest of negotiations or PR at the time, um, you know? And, and it was just good to see them come back and actually settle on something. And look, they're getting paid millions of dollars while people were losing jobs. Yeah, I, I, that, that's a look. The, to me, those are separate. You know issues. Right. Um, yeah. I, yeah you know, I, nobody, I, nobody, nobody complains how much an actor makes. No. You know, for, right. for a movie, you know, you never hear that. But I think because because athletes are playing a game, and, and it's more, I, I think it's TV more public. And they, and what's that? I think a lot of it, you know, between the sports talk radio and you don't see like, let's say, uh, you know, and this is off topic, but you know, you see an actor negotiating for a movie, it's not played out in public. You no, know, whereas, and, you know, baseball, look, there's a whole industry built on people talking about this. Well, yeah, the, the, the reality is in the history of, and I'll just take the sport that I cover, even though I, I believe this to be true with all the professional sports, but I'll just take it with, with major in baseball, plus the history is longer uh, with what I'm about to say. Yeah. You can go back to the 1800s and you can read 
about players in the 1800s wanting a bigger cut, and rightfully so, right. of the money coming in and fans overwhelmingly siding with the owners. <laughs> this goes back uh, a long, long time. <laughs> players have always been the villains when it comes to this. I, I've never understood it. I, when I was a teenager, when I was a kid, you know, growing up, I never understood why everyone seemed to side with the owners. I just thought nobody, because here's the bottom line for me. Nobody in the history of professional sports mm-hmm. has ever bought a ticket to see an owner do anything. Sure. And so therefore, the people who pay money to go to games are going to see their favorite teams, their favorite players. And so therefore, I believe the players should get the preponderance of the money. Right. Um, and so it's always staggering to me how whenever there's these negotiations and they're going to play out again this off season, right. there's probably going to be a work stoppage of some kind next year. I think everyone probably thinks that's, that's inevitable, and it probably is uh, because the Players Association and the owners uh, are going to go to war over a variety of things, and I think it's going to be difficult to avoid a, um, a work stoppage. Mm-hmm. But what's always incredible to me is that you see these franchise values skyrocket, billions and billions and billions of dollars, and somehow the players don't deserve any of that in terms of the public sphere, and that they should just be happy to get paid anything to play a kid's game. And that that is the prevailing attitude when these things are generally talked about. How can you complain about getting paid anything to play a kid's game? Because people watch on television – and they think it's easy in a way that when they see a great singer perform on stage or they see a great actor perform in a movie, they don't watch that and say, ooh, I could do that. Intuitively, they know that they can't. For some reason, when they watch Miguel and Duhar butcher a bar at third base, they think because they played in high school that they could make that play. <laughs> I guarantee you, you couldn't, okay? Um, you know, I, I, was, I was a decent summer league player too, okay? Whatever. Uh, I, Miguel and Duhar is... 20 times the fielder that, that, that I could ever be fielding a major league base, uh, major league ground ball. Um, and he's not even, you know, in the higher echelon, obviously, when it comes to doing that at that level. Right. Um, but I think that what we're talking about here, when uh, players are, are generally uh, villainized, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, MLB plays the, uh, the PR game well mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, you know, information that they leak to some of their favorite reporters to make the players look bad right, right. Uh, in, in certain respects. Um, but it's a PR game the players have lost for a hundred plus years and will probably lose for, you know, a hundred plus more. Yeah, no, I, I, a hundred percent know where you're coming from. Also for me, I go to the batting cage. I'm on the slow pitch. So, uh, I didn't even try to hit medium anymore. <laughs> um, but it looked, but, 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 but Rob, it looks, but from the television, it looks easy. Yeah, and even, right. and honestly, for sometimes from the stands, it does too. No, I mean, it's just like anything else. Look, you, you go and you see these guys. I mean, you go to a game and if you have, you know, I, if you have that opportunity to sit in the first couple of rows, you know, if you're lucky enough and you see that pitcher pitch, you get an appreciation of how fast that ball's coming, you know, and the split second to make that decision. Um, in terms of pro athletes, like me personally, I've, I've played sports. I know a lot of guys that have gone beyond uh, the high school level. And their talent is just, to me, incredible. Or you see these guys in... That don't, and they don't make it, and the talent's incredible. So look, it's just like anything else. If you can make the most you can, great. Um, getting back to a little bit of the pandemic, 
you know, you're. I assume you live up here in the during the season. You're a New Yorker. Yes. Okay. Well, I was born born and raised in Cleveland, but I've oh. been in New York for for twenty years. So. I did. The, I love the flats. Um, but this was <laughs> this is twenty. Well, old old the old warehouse district. Yeah, yeah. This is. I, I haven't been there. I think the last time I was there in like the mid nineties. I I have great little city. Um, but you know, being up here, what. It's been like we had our shutdowns, you know, mask up, mask up, mask up. Uh, the restaurants here, there's no entertainment going on. So when you saw those outbreaks, um, and, and it was considering the amount of travel, how many guys are playing, you know, are on a major league baseball roster, um, it was amazing that there wasn't a full outbreak, but were these guys actually leaving the ballpark and being careful? Like, how yes. was it getting it? Because, you know, that's what yes. a lot of the talk was, oh, this guy went out. You know, oh, I'm in Florida. I'm going out to dinner. We're, you know, they weren't told to – they didn't isolate them, but were these percent, high percentage of MLB players being very careful when they left the ballpark? Yeah, you know, look, I, 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 I can only answer with the team that I cover. Mm-hmm. And and I checked on that periodically during the Yankee season right. uh, last year, um, and you know texted, called you know people that I trust in the organization that you know would have some insight on that type of thing, and and it kept coming back to me that um, on the road that you know the, the Yankees did you know they followed the guidelines, mm-hmm. um, and so um, you know you had. Uh, I think it was uh, Aroldis Chapman, you know, tested positive, you know, right. coming into camp last year. Uh, but then, you know, he never experienced really any symptoms, and he joined two or three days after uh, spring training two uh, started up again in early July. Uh, you know, there's one or two other, you know, guys. Obviously, the Yankees had the two minor leaguers right off the bat. You remember in mid-March last right, year, they tested right. positive, and, and there was a fear that there would be a widespread you know, wild play would take off like wildfire across their minor leagues, and that never happened. Um, so, you know, look, I, I, I the the Yankee guys, and I think the proof is in the, the fact that they didn't have any outbreaks. Uh, did what what was spelled out for them to do, uh, and I would say, by and large, based on the evidence, that that was pretty much the case across the sport. You heard a lot of complaining about it behind the scenes, uh, but you know. Not a hundred percent, but uh, you know, I would say ninety percent plus of the guys across uh, across the sport uh, did what they were supposed to. Matt, um, Eric, sorry, we're going to take a quick break. Can you stick around with us for a little while longer? Talk about the upcoming Yankee season. I, I can do it, but not, I don't have too much time. Okay, so uh, we'll take a quick. Uh, you know what? We're going to hold off on the break. So coming in, what are our? Uh, we're going to hold off on the break. We're here with Eric Bola, the Newsday. What are our expectations for the Yankees this year? I mean, coming in every year, it seems like okay, we got the hitting, we got the pitching, and they fall flat. Yeah, I mean, look, I, you look at the strength of, and Bob, you obviously you know follow the sport. The, the strength in Major League Baseball right now overwhelmingly is in the National League. Yeah, you know, you can reel off ten teams in the National League who I think have a legitimate. Uh, you can put contender. You know, pennant contender next to next to them, um, ten, and it might be more than ten. In the American League, to me, and I'm not a homer, and anyone that's read my coverage in Newsday over the years, tell you I'm heard this thing from a from a Yankees homer. Um, 
to me, I look at the American League and I see the Yankees and I see everybody else. Okay. When you just look at roster construction, I know the questions that are surrounding the rotation and they're legitimate questions. Uh, and if they have some major injuries there, uh, you know, some of the young depth that they're counting on, I'm not sure that it, that those guys are, you know, ready for 25, 30 starts in a big league season if they were required to do that. Um, but I just look at the, at the depth of, of the rotation that they have. The bullpen, the lineup, um, it's just, if you compare it to everyone else, it's superior. Right. Yeah, and, you know, I think, I think, I think Toronto could give them some trouble. We all, you know, you never count out Tampa. I mean, you do that at your own peril. Uh, Houston still can hit a little bit. Um, but there's not much bullpen there and there's not a tremendous depth in the starting pitching. They've got a few guys, but, um, you know, they don't have a ton. Um, you know, Minnesota, I mean, I'll never trust them in the postseason, uh, particularly against the Yankees. <laughs> yeah, that's um, a, that, that's and, a gibby, so, that's a gibby right there. Yeah, so, you know, I, I just look at it, I, I would be shocked if the Yankees, number one, don't win the division. Right. Uh, and I would be, I won't say shocked, but I would be moderately surprised if they at least didn't get to the ALCS and, and to the World Series because again, uh, I don't see the crapshoot in the AL, uh, the way you do in the NL where again, there's, you know, four or five really, really, really good teams and then another four or five pretty good teams um, that with a tweak here or there or with some, you know, a young player that comes through or an injured guy comes back, that, that those that could be a great team, you know. And right. so um, I just don't see the depth of quality teams in the American League that even comes close to comparing what's in the National League. And all of that is to say, you know, one team that looks fairly complete in the American League is the Yankees, and so I just think they're going to beat up on a lot of bad teams with a lot of bad pitching uh, for for most of the year. Does that mean that there aren't potential trouble spots? Absolutely not. You know, if if, if Corey Kluber gets hurt again or, or just you know isn't completely over his you know injuries the last couple of years, and the same thing with Tyone, uh, if he's not completely over the second Tommy John surgery. Uh, all indications he is, but until he actually gets out there and performs, you know, it, it, it's a question mark until it isn't. Um, and so if you, if neither one of those guys were able to, uh, you know, make right. at least 20 starts, let's say, um, or if, uh, you know, you have a, a, an injury to Garrett Cole or again, Aaron Judge or Labor Torres, you know, yeah, if you have a whole slew of those guys that go down, yeah, absolutely, then that opens the door for someone else, but, um, just taking overall the organizational depth, I really don't see anyone in the American League that, that compares right now, uh, you know, to, to the Yankees. Does that mean they're going to win 115 games? No, absolutely not. Does it right. mean they're going to coast into the World Series? No, yeah. absolutely not. Um, but, you know, if, if you're a Yankee fan, you should feel pretty good about your chances uh, of getting to the World Series this year. But it just seems every year it's just injuries. That yeah, no, it's it just and, it, and it's, it's been and it hasn't been small. It's been major, you know. Come it not season-ending injuries, but it's like this guy's out for a month. This guy's out for six weeks, and what but, you Rob, know? They, what are they doing Rob, about they, this? They, <laughs> I know they, you can't predict, but it, no. It's but they, look, it's the reason why that they did a complete overhaul of their medical uh, staff two off seasons ago. Right. Um, Including hiring a guy named Eric Cressy from uh, Performance Sports, you know, who is one of the, you know, uh, highly regarded, um, new age thinkers, for lack of a better phrase, 
when it comes to um, conditioning athletes. Um, and the Yankees hired him two years ago, basically to restructure how they um, how they train their guys for for you know to, to break it down as simple terms as possible. And so um, when they had all of the injuries last year, and and you asked Brian Cashman about. Eric Cressy and, and the medical overhauls. He said, "Well, he hasn't had a full year to put all of his system, you know, in place. Well, now okay. he's had the full year. So, uh, if those uh, the cascade of injuries that has been a part of this franchise really for the last three or four years now, if that continues under uh, under somebody new who was brought in to restructure all of it, um, then there's going to be some pretty hard questions, uh, you know, going to to Brian Cashman about that." Uh, and, you know, trickling down to, uh, to Eric Cressy, who again was, was brought in to, um, restructure everything. But, right. uh, you know, that, that is how they addressed it, uh, by bringing somebody new in. And, and like I said, who, you know, is considered on the cutting edge of, of performance science. Um, and, you know, I, the best I can do is, is say, we'll see. I mean, it just seems every year they get to the playoffs and we have this great lineup and they don't hit. They gave up two runs, and that's it. I mean, at, at what point do we say, you know, Aaron Boone, is any chance that he's going to be on the hot seat after this? Or at what point do they look to make him out? You know, if they don't win this year, is it a World Series or bust for him right now? Is it just no, getting to the playoffs, no, that, or that, they that like him that much? That doesn't exi- it, it just that doesn't exist anymore in the franchise the way it did when George Steinbrenner ran things. Okay. So. Um, Hal is not Hal Steinbrenner is you know George's youngest son who's been running the team since 2008. Um, he's just not cut from that mold. You're, you're never going to get a World Series or bust mantra okay. uh, that comes out before a season. Uh, and not all playoff losses are, are created equal. You know, right. um, you you can lose, and your manager might not have made any decisions that were backfired, and you just got outplayed. Or, you know, you had a, a, you know, your three starting pitchers, top three starting pitchers got hurt right before the playoffs. And right. so then you lost, you know, so to say, oh, he could he be on the hot seat? Can I, can I envision a scenario where he is on the hot seat? I can, uh, but I think it's very, it's very unlikely. And, and to predict in March how a team might lose in the playoffs and how that would affect the manager, you know, there's any number of a thousand things that could impact the team. And how they lose and why and why they lost, um, and so you know, and it's just you know, the bottom line is, Hal Steinbrenner loves Aaron Boone, Brian Cashman loves Aaron Boone, and you know, if they win ninety five games and lose in the division series, I don't think that's going to change uh, unless Boone does something that blows into a big public relations nightmare that, you know, would force the, the team to, you know, force the organization to make some kind of a change. And something like that would have nothing to do necessarily with baseball. You know, I'm talking about something that would embarrass the organization. And right. I would find it difficult. I would find it hard to, to imagine something that Aaron Bloom could do uh, to cause that. So, um, you know, I know that's been speculated on, and, I, and I, I've seen some of that stuff. And, um is it impossible? No, nothing's impossible. I've been doing this too long to, to say, you know, to use uh, never as an absolute. Um, but I would be very, very, very surprised to see a scenario that would result in Aaron Boone losing his job after this season. I know we got to let you go, get going soon. Give me one player under the radar that is going to step up or that we should uh, be looking for this season in the, for the Yankees. I don't think he's necessarily an under-the-radar type of a guy, but he's not 
been able to, to stay healthy, you know, which you rinse, repeat. Um, but I think Aaron Hicks potentially could have a, a real big season for, for the Yankees this year. I, I think he's, you know, I think he's going to be able to stay healthy. And I think if he does get, you know, 500 at bats, and he mm-hmm. said it uh, the other day when we were talking to him, that if he gets 500 to 600 at bats, he thinks he'll be a 30 plus home run guy. Um, and I think that's actually a, a possibility if he's able to stay on the field. And boy, that would be huge if the Yankees were able to get that out of their center fielder. Well, Eric, I know you got to get going. Thanks a lot for your time. Really appreciate it. So you're telling us World Series are bust, right? You're predicting <laughs> it for that? <laughs> Put it on the marquee. You got it. That was Eric Ball and Newsday Beat Rider. We're going to take a quick break. Our phone lines will be open, and that's 516-623-1240, 516-623-1240. Phone lines will be open. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB 1240. I'm Rob Zimmerman, your host. Phone lines are now open, 516-623-1240. That's 516-623-1240. If you want, give me a call. We'll talk about anything you want. Uh, it has to do with New York sports. Good news right now. The New York Knickerbockers are up 78-57 to over the Detroit Pistons. If they hold on tonight, the Knicks will be over 500. What a season it's been. And out of every team right now that we've seen, I am most impressed with the New York Knicks. We had Eddie Lee Wilkins on with me a couple of weeks ago. And we spoke Knicks basketball. And what a turnaround this season has been. Coming into this year, the expectations, you want to call them limited. Uh, you want to call them non-existent. You want, I mean, it was just, again, we were coming in. It was going to be another disastrous season at the Garden. The nice thing is now for some people, about 2,000 people, you'll be able to travel to Madison Square Garden and see these guys play, and hopefully the fans being in the stands will give them a little lift. Now, my question for you is, taking a look at this roster, Julius Randle, all-star player this year, averaging 23.4 points a game. Is he a legit superstar? Can you build around him? Are the Knicks not, when we, let's say, season started, you thought two, three superstar players away. Are they one superstar player away from being an elite team? And that, all right, maybe a little premature. But I think that's where you have to go to. And looking at this roster, I mean, guys are playing great. Emmanuel quickly has been a godsend for them. The first time that we might actually have a legit young point guard in uh, for the New York Knicks for a while, in a long time since maybe Charlie Ward. Barrett's been playing a lot better. 
Um, he seems to be coming into his own. Is he going to be an elite player? I don't think so. Um, I see Barrett as a great maybe third, fourth player on a team. He's playing much better. He's evolving. He's growing. Uh, Bullock right now, you know, you're getting what you can out of him. How long is he going to be here? Nobody knows. Um, same with a lot of this roster. So if you looked, and I said it early in the season, there was about three players that mattered. And now we have four with Emmanuel Quigley. So it's Barrett, Reggie, uh, sorry, Barrett, Quigley, um, obviously, uh, Obi Toppin, Mitch Robinson. That is your base. And Julius Randle, that is your base of this New York Knicks team. And they're playing well. Obviously, Mitch Robinson out for uh, another few weeks. Uh, New Orleans Noel stepping in. The injury to Taj Gibson right now. Nobody knows how long or if he's going to be out. Uh, so that's going to play a little crimp into the Knicks. So they're going to have to build some character over the next uh, couple of weeks. But again, the ability that this team is going to be over 500 and they are right now could be the fourth or fifth seed in the Eastern Conference is simply incredible. Um, barring an incredible collapse, look, barring an injury, um, you don't know. You don't know. But barring any major collapse right now, we're looking at a playoff team. And we're not looking at a seventh seed or an eight seed team, possibly a fourth or fifth, possibly hosting a home series in the first or second round of the playoffs. Would you have thought that at the beginning of the season? Probably not. So you really have to look at what Tom Thibodeau and his staff has done this year. And maybe Thibodeau's got to be considered uh, maybe coach of the year. I mean, considering what's going on, considering the turnaround. And out of the two New York basketball teams, I'm more impressed with the Knicks than the Nets. Let me know what you think. Give me a phone call at 516-623-1240. Again, our lines are open, 516-623-1240. Getting to the team across the uh, river or across the bridge. Uh, Nets are playing great. The Nets are really playing great. I know KD's been in and out of the lineup. Um, and there was a lot of question, and I spoke about it with Eddie Lee a few weeks ago. How would the big three get along? And I really wasn't concerned. Um, these guys want to play together. They're going to share the ball. They're going to, you know, and I don't think they're going to have any issues. And it was really the rest of uh, the roster where I had, had concerns. And they're playing very well right now. Uh, they seem to be meshing. But, again, you have to look at the NBA. And we all know the Western Conference is a lot stronger than the Eastern Conference. I am not impressed with anybody else in the East. I don't think anybody else is going to give them any trouble. And I'm being honest with you. I don't think any team out there is going to give this team trouble when when the big three are on. Um, Milwaukee, just not impressed with the way they're playing. And, again, it could all you know, come down to the Western Conference. Can they beat the Western Conference? Um, obviously, right now, the Lakers, Anthony Davis being out, that leaves a big void with that team. Um, but we'll have to, we'll have to see, uh, where we go from here or where they go from here. Um, again, 
Let's see, an update. Knicks at the end of three are up 83 to 64 over the Detroit Pistons. Uh, let me know your thoughts. Again, phone calls, uh, phone lines are open, 516-623-1240. That's 516-623-1240. The other thing I like to get to, we've talked sports, we've talked baseball, we've talked basketball a couple of weeks ago, a little bit tonight. And of course, guess who's on the clock with the NFL, the New York Jets. We all know what's going on. Trevor Lawrence, number one, obviously the number one pick. And through about two, through about two weeks ago, um, no surprise there. So the Jets are officially on the clock with that number two pick. And what do you do? Do you take the quarterback? Uh, do you take the offensive tackle? Um, so rumors have it again. Excuse me. Where do the Jets, what are they going to do? Uh, Deshaun Watson. Rumor has it Deshaun Watson wants to play in New York. What are the odds of him playing in New York? This is, again, going to come down. He seems to want to get out of there. Houston does not want to trade him. And what's it going to take to get him? Uh, apparently, they're pushing towards the NFL draft. We'll know more uh, about that as we get closer. But it looks as though Houston's going to try to push this trade. I see him going somewhere. I don't see him coming to the Jets with all their jet capital, with all their draft capital, with all their uh, money and free agency. I just don't see him coming to the Jets. So take that out of the equation, Jet fans. Take that out of the equation. So now the question is, what do you do? Do you go for uh, Josh Wilson out of uh, BYU? Uh, do you go for Justin Fields? Now, I haven't been a big Justin Fields fan. I know everybody got on the bandwagon watching him play against Clemson. I watch a lot of college football. Clemson that year, Clemson in that game against Clemson, they were missing half their defense. So let's take that into consideration. Um, the game against Northwestern, if you would have watched the Big Ten Championship, there's no way you take him as a top ten pick. And taking a quarterback, um, taking a quarterback on the second pick or the third pick and pushing it is just not worth it. Okay, we got Dave on the line. Dave, how are you doing? I have no complaints. Um, <laughs> but again, I'm, I'm certainly older than yourself. Dave, where are you so calling I from? Find, I, find, I, no, I just find the oh. basketball game yeah. uh, unwatchable, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, the idea of you know uh, going over the mid-stripe and then uh, bounce the ball twice and then throw it up for long rebounds so that the defensive team can take the uh, ball from that point on. I think it's right. ridiculous. Now, it's, I, I agree with you. It's a very different game. I mean, I grew up. Uh, what what era did you start watching basketball? I grew up in New Hyde Park. No, but what uh, era did you start watching uh, basketball? I am 64. So okay. I, I, saw the, I saw the Knicks when they were. Um, the 70s. You know, the Knicks and stuff like that, Earl Monroe and Mr. Frazier. Right. Bill Bradley and the ability to actually work the ball inside. Mm-hmm. Um, even though the center, I know, I know, is not really part of the game anymore. <laughs> but the idea of working the ball into the center and then letting him uh, distribute the ball to the open 15-foot jumper—I know that's a uh, bad word to say in today's uh, NBA. It's it's all or nothing. Oh, the mid-range. Uh, but uh, it was a more—it was a fun game to watch. I I don't disagree with you. I mean, I started I 
I'm a little younger than you, but I was actually brought up on watching uh, Red Holtzman and the 70 and 73 Knicks. And that was my first introduction to basketball, of watching those games, of yeah, uh, somebody teaching uh, me how to watch those games. And you go back then, and then you go to, I loved watching the Celtics in the 80s because the way that they actually played the game. And I think I mentioned it last time, if you happen to cast a show, I, I watch a lot more college basketball than I do pro basketball, and even that's getting out of hand right now because it's come oh, down and chuck up a three. Yeah, college basketball is a joke. Oh. It, it's, a, I, it's still a competitive game. It still depends on the team and the system. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, let, let me ask you one question. Sure. If you were to show the young people mm-hmm. how the game should be played, wouldn't it be wonderful? And I know it'll never happen. Is for one night, all season, once a month, eliminate the three-point play and show uh, the young people what a pass is, you know, working the ball inside and stuff like that, and negating. If somebody wants to throw it up from 45, hey, you get two points. Right. Um. I would love to, I, I am not disagreeing with you. I like to run the motion offense, um, when I do coach or coach my kids. Uh, yeah, no, teams. I mean, it, like I said, it, it, it would be mind boggling, but it would, it, you would bring an audience, um, that a, an, an older person, older, uh, uh, I would say males in their family, I don't want right. to be discriminatory. No, no, no. Uh, would be able to explain exactly, you know, what the old days were like and let the young people have an appreciation. That not you know there is a history to the game. Not everything is a progression of uh, a, one player who's better than the other person ten years ago. I was once taught. Um, I had the opportunity. I've um, somebody who used to coach at Brooklyn College back in the day, and they had taught us, or they were teaching us the motion offense and the offense that they wanted to run. And like he said to me, the game of basketball is a ballet with a ball and guys cutting and opening and making that extra pass and getting into an open situation or um, getting to the open spot on the floor. And if you watch the movement of a pure offense, that's what it is. It's really, a you know, it's a ballet with a basketball. But uh, Yes, yes. I mean, I, I understand that uh, years ago it was a very physical game. Uh, with like uh, teams like Detroit and stuff like that, right. and again, that really couldn't last for a long time because you were losing too many good players for you know two games at a time or three games at a time. But um, when you watch the game today, once a person has any sort of a chance at a layup, there's really no chance whatsoever someone's going to go up there and try to block them. Yeah, you know where you know where you see right now, and it's very rare. And I've been watching the Knicks recently. You know, again. The teams that don't have those shooters or the teams that don't aren't as, quote, proficient on offense, if you watch the Knicks, and you're going to see it a little bit and, and just watch, like I, I was seeing, I saw the game the other night and pass went into New Orleans Noel, you know, layup. Easily, I forgot who had the ball, um, I think it was Randall, could have easily taken that shot. But he saw uh, Norell, you know, Cut into the lane and to the basket and made that extra pass. So these, some of these teams, and that's, that's like 
why I actually like kind of watching the Knicks right now. They're a little bit old school. They are playing team defense, which you don't find. Um, they are playing in an offensive system that Thibodeau, because they're almost forced to. Because as good as Randall's been, the rest of the team can't shoot. Yeah. They're very well, limited I mean, again, in shooting. Yeah, you remember the old days where they were, you know, you would look at the best player and you would try to get that person in foul trouble in the first yeah. half, making your team's chances a little bit better in the second half. Yeah. If you go back even, um, I watch it about once a year. I'm, I went to Syracuse. I'm a big-time Syracuse Orange fan. And I watched the 1987 championship game, you know, about once a year. I, I don't watch the last minute and a half, but I watch the rest of the game. Mm-hmm. They had one three-point shooter. And they had a guy that was just designated, and that in 1987 was the first year that the NCAA uh, had the three-point shot. And they didn't have guys that were 6'5", 6'6", 6'8", 6'9", shooting the three. And you mm-hmm. saw them work the basketball and work it inside. And even guys, even your two guard at the time was not, didn't have to be, have the ability to hit a 25 footer. You know, it was a much different game back then. Yep. So who, who did you grow up, uh, growing up? Who did you like? Who did you watch? Um, being, uh, again, where I grew up, I watched the, uh, well, again, also our options were rather limited. Right. Uh, you had a Channel 7 game. Um, and quite truthfully, I spent more time listening to the Nick games at night, especially, well, obviously when they went on the West Coast, there was no, uh, feed back here, or if there was, it was quite the exception to the rule. Right. Well, you had so, Channel uh, Wait. And I was enjoyed, it? I really games enjoyed, on Channel 9. And over the years, yeah. I have also enjoyed the banter on the radio, if it's a good uh, combination of hosts and whatever. Well, who was the radio, who was doing radio back then? Was it still Marv Albert before I mean, he did yeah, uh, tell Yeah, it sometimes too. I think I think Marv was a little bit short of cash, so he was doing whatever, anything he can get his hands on. That was one thing. He about, was also doing the Ranger games too. Uh, yeah, he was all over the place and doing uh, Channel Four Sports. Yeah, well, I, I, again, this is before superstations and stuff like that. And uh, again, we're all happy with a familiar voice and stuff like that. But I, I know you're running out of time. But um, may I just make one suggestion for the improvement of baseball? Sure, go ahead, right ahead. If you're gonna if you're gonna shift. Um, obviously, all teams are going to shift. All your infielders have to start on the infield. Nobody with their feet on the grass. <laughs> we'll let them know. We'll let them know. I mean, it's going. I, I right now. I mean, what tomorrow's March first? Between you and me, I'm just happy to have baseball. I'm just happy to have basketball. I'm just happy. Yeah, to but have you're not appealing football. to the young people. That's what. That's what's going to finish the game off. Oh, you mean in baseball? It's 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 a very different game. Look, I I grew up at the time where you played little league, and even for me, I have young kids. It, it's a little bit of a dying sport. I appreciate the phone call. Thank you all very much for listening. I'm Rob Zerman. This is Sports Talk New York on WGBB Radio. Have a good night. Views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.